Now, I'd like to invite up someone who is basically Marshall's symbolic brother, older brother, right? <laughs> Tyler Hans. Hello, good morning. Uh, I think Marshall's older than me, but I, I'm in, I am his brother-in-law, so um, that comes as a surprise to some people here every once in a while when they realize he has a sister. Um, yeah, I married her. She's, she's great. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, we uh, call Vineyard for a long time, our home away from home. I've been in vocational ministry for a long time, working for churches, and so Vineyard is, is where we call home um, when we are um, looking to be with family. This is where we come. So thank you. And Vineyard, I, I don't know if you know, is, is a pretty special place. Um, it's, in a lot of ways, a very non-anxious space. It's very family and very comfortable, very peaceful on theme for today, uh, very peaceful. And in, for me, in a lot of ways, has been very healing in that way. Um, the world out there is, is, as we all know, difficult. Uh, people that we know who are hurting, situations that are challenging, and being able to come into a space that's comfortable and peaceful and calm is really nice. And um, so, thank you for letting me be a part of that. Um, we are in a series called The Bright Valley. We started it last week. It is a reflection uh, on the season of Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, last week, we began with hope. This morning, we are continuing with peace. Uh, Advent, um, if you haven't figured it out by now, we've been saying it over and over, is the time between the birth of Jesus and the return of Jesus. Uh, with that kind of like I was alluding to, comes a range of emotions. We use this season to reflect on four in particular, hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, but we do that because of these emotions in contrast to what we're already feeling, particularly, particularly in a season like this. They are in contrast to feelings like despair, lament, sadness, and evil that we all see and feel around us. So in this space, in the darkness and the anxiety of our, of our age, Advent reminds us to look for the light. Um, this series is, again, called uh, The Bright Valley, and it is loosely inspired by a series from another vineyard church in Illinois and one in Kentucky, right? Evanston and Campbellville. Yeah, Campbellsville. I know, I've never been to Kentucky, so... I, I hear it's a real place, and, uh, and thank you to Campbellsville for, uh, for being uh, willing to share the content with us. We are going to be reading out of Isaiah 11 uh, in verses 1 through 10. So if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we'll be. But we will be skipping back and forth around the first 10 chapters of Isaiah as well. So if you want to try and keep up with me, I'm going to, I'm going to go fast. But Isaiah 11 is where we will be. Uh, mostly focused. Before we read, let's pray. God, we, we love you. We're grateful for your promises for us. 
in a season like this, but even throughout the year, and we're grateful for a space to, to gather together and call home, to learn from your word, and engage in your presence. So speak to us now through your scripture as we, uh, as we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what, he see, what his eyes see and decide dispute by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the branch of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaning child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not hurt, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place be glorious. So if, uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's, it's a little weird sometimes. I'm sure you read that and you're like, what, what is Isaiah going on about? Uh, Isaiah was a prophet um, who came around the middle part of the Old Testament. But what we know about the Old Testament is that with all its pains and failures and weirdness, all of it is ultimately leading to the birth of Jesus. Uh, if you're familiar with a lot of the main characters of the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, they're pretty main characters. They failed, sin entered Eden, and they were removed. Noah couldn't recreate Eden in, in his best attempts, and he repeated the same sin of Adam and Eve. Abraham and his family were a mess. Moses failed, King David failed, Israel and all its other kings failed to keep the law. All of these people and events have led us to Jesus, where God stepped into the human story as a tiny, fragile baby. And where all these other leaders failed, Jesus succeeded. So he, in the time that he lived and worked and died on earth, he, he broke the power of sin he reconciled creation back to God and defeated death. Everything that they were trying to do in the Old Testament, Jesus was able to do in his life. But then the, then the man just kind of left. He just he left. He, uh, he said he'd be back soon, and he just kind of said, you know, BRB, which is, you know, text language for be right back, if you didn't know. Uh, my kids have picked up on that, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, so within the context of the greater timeline, we have the privilege of living on this side of the cross, meaning we have seen prophecies fulfilled. We know Jesus. Um, we live in the church age, which is a unique, a unique place in the story of humanity. We know Jesus, delight in his life, teachings, and promises. We also, in this age, have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
to carry on all the work that Jesus began, but we are still subject to forces of evil around us, just like they were to a degree in the Old Testament. We have, we have a, a victory in Jesus, but we still have pains that we experience and suffering that we all have to deal with. But although we are still subject to death and suffering, we have hope, just like we discussed last week. That is where, that tension is where we get the name the Bright Valley. It is the two mountains being Christ has come, Christ will come again, and we, are, we live in the space between. Biblical scholars call this concept inaugurated eschatology, meaning the kingdom of God is here. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom. It's here, but it's not fully realized. It's, it's, it's now and not yet. It's... Um, we are engaged in a battle, and we still, have a lot of, we still will have a lot of losses, but the war will be won eventually by Jesus. So this means we have an active part to play in the kingdom of God here and now on earth, as we live between these two mountains in the tension between heaven and earth. And so the second week of Advent, like we've discussed, is a reflection on peace within a world of uncertainty, suffering, and violence. So, looking again at the book of Isaiah, um, to get some context into what, you know, is kind of confusing at first read. I doubt anybody picked up all the brilliant nuances there just on that one quick read. Um, but there is a lot of depth to the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet who lived in Jerusalem and began his prophetic ministry in the time of Israel's kingdom period, meaning he spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Israel while they were an actual nation. They moved out of the wilderness, they established themselves as a nation, and this is where Isaiah is speaking. Uh, his message, like so many of the other prophets, was of judgment and hope, uh, which, was, which was something that the, the nations, nation of Israel needed to be reminded of a lot. Uh, he, was he was specifically speaking to the people of Judah, who were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is where you're going to get, it's, it's interesting, but it's more of like a history lesson, so stay with me. Uh, at this point in the timeline of Israel, the kingdom of Israel had been established by the leadership of King David. But two, generation, two generations later, David's grandson, King Rehoboam, led the kingdom of Israel into being split into two parts. So at this point in Isaiah's life, he's speaking to Israel as it exists in two parts. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom would be named Judah. And that's where the tribe of Judah uh, existed and occupied with its capital city of Jerusalem. All of the other 11 tribes existed within the boundaries of the northern kingdom, Israel. So to these people in this space, Isaiah is speaking of judgment and hope. Isaiah spoke of judgment, warning Judah, this particular tribe of the nation of Israel, that their rebellion to the way of God was going to come at a cost. And they were going to be judged by God for their idolatry, injustice, and oppression of the poor. That's what, that's what the major theme of this book is, is that message of judgment. But it's also about hope. Isaiah is speaking about a future king who would come and lead the people into the fulfillment of all God's covenant promises. And the significance to the tribe of Judah, again, if you uh, are well-versed in Old Testament, the significance of the tribe of Judah 
is that they are the line of David from whom Jesus would eventually descend. So there is promises for them in particular. So stay with me. Here's a summary sentence. It's very long. Stay with me. So Isaiah is trying to reason with the chosen people of God from whom the future king of the world would be established to remain faithful to the covenant they made with God so that they can lead the nations and ultimately reign as the kingdom of God. So I wrote that and I went, yeah, that's a good sentence. But then you start reading it. It's like, that's maybe too long. But that is the theme here. However, obviously we know that as much as Isaiah and God tried to reason with the nations, things didn't go well. You can read the full story in the book of First and Second Kings, but the failure of the leadership here in Judah is, is staggering, as well as the northern kingdom. So generations of kings, the majority of them, failing God and Israel in one form or another. Just a series of failures. Eventually, both kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, fall. Jerusalem is attacked, and the people are brought into exile. The history of Judah and its leaders is marked by rebellion, corruption, violence, and death. But God is trying to lead them from their violence and rebellion and into peace. That's, that's what's happening here. So, um, in the first, in the first uh, 12 chapters in particular, there is a, there's a theme that runs through them really well. In Isaiah 1, he has a few statements that really summarize well how God is trying to plead with the nation of Israel. And in Isaiah 1, verse 16, it says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What's astonishing in this, this section is that God is reasoning with them. Like he's, he's very patiently trying to reason with them. And he's being as, as simple and, and basic as he can, literally saying, cease to do evil, learn to do good. That is the message. That is the covenant promise that they have been committed to all the way back when they were following Moses in the wilderness. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. It's that simple. And God remains very, very patient. He even says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall be blessed. If you refuse and rebel, your judgment is exile. Where it says... If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. The, the foreshadowing here is that their fate will be the sword of their neighboring nations, and they will be taken into exile. So God is saying the ways of Jerusalem will lead to destruction, but that it doesn't have to be that way. And ultimately, it won't be that way. Isaiah is here to foreshadow the coming king who will lead people into the new Jerusalem. So that was all context Let's keep moving and try and make sense of the passage that we read together in chapter 11. Going back to verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So in the first verse, there's already some questions I imagine. Um, what is this stump? 
right? What is this? Why, why is there a stump? Why is it being burned? What is a shoot? Does they mean branch? Uh, and who's Jesse, right? It's a lot of questions just in the first verse. Uh, again, the context comes from earlier in Isaiah's vision. So if you want to look at Isaiah 6.13, we see a reference to the stump. And Isaiah is, is saying that he will bring a holy seed from that stump. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. So they go, okay, All right. So it's, it's a metaphor. He's describing the nation of Israel and the line of Judah as a tree that's been felled by their enemies. But who's, who's Jesse? Well, and it, again, biblical scholars out here are just Old Testament um, nerds. That's not a very nice way to say it, is it? Uh, Jesse is the, king of da- is the father of King David. So this stump story is imagery that describes the destruction of Israel and the hand its en- at the hand of its enemies and the fall of the line of David. However, the, what we're reading here in chapter 11 is a glimmer of hope because the shoot or branch is Isaiah prophesying of that coming king who will still descend from the line of Jesse, which is the line of David, to become a greater David. And out from the destruction of this kingdom will come a king who will lead the people of God into a new Jerusalem that, will, that he will establish marked by justice and peace for all the nations. And we read there in, second, in the second verse of chapter 11, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and of knowledge of the fear of the Lord. That is, it's describing Jesus. There's no, I'm not leaving you on the edge of your seat there. We're talking about Jesus here. And again, being in the church age, we have the privilege of seeing this particular prophecy fulfilled. Uh, we, where Isaac speaks of the spirit of the Lord resting upon this coming king, we have the gospel account of Matthew, where we see the spirit of the Lord rest upon Jesus at his baptism. And being able to connect those dots here in our time is, is a very valuable perspective on how the future, king, the future kingdom will come. Because we know that Jesus is the hope for the world. We know that he is chosen. We know that he is anointed. And we know that he is spirit-filled. This is the type of king that we desperately need, that humanity desperately needs. A leader not compelled by fear. A leader not corrupted by power. A leader not overcome with anxiety or influenced by public opinion. So the theme here that Isaiah is describing is that within the leaders of Israel, there is an alarming failure of character. But our story as the modern church is not that different in many ways. Isaiah spoke to the kings of Israel about their corruption, sin, abuse, and disobedience to God. But we are seeing similar themes play out today with so many scandals within the church. Uh, Obviously, when you think of church scandals or moral failures, you're going to be thinking of probably the Catholic Church first, with its horrible history of abuse and in arguably worse systemic cover-ups. We think of Mars Hill Church being the Northwest. We know a lot of people that were either directly affected or, or within proximity of those who were affected. And the Mark Driscoll's uh, failures as a leader, his abuse of power and bullying 
the, uh, the, the toxic toll that he took on his, his own staff. You think of Hillsong Church, um, arguably one of the most successful churches in the world with its own moral failures, sexual abuse, and systemic cover-up. Recently, the founder of the International House of Prayer um, was found out to be committing spiritual abuse and sexual abuse. Dwelling Place Church, which has associations with Vineyard, if you know that story, Dwelling, Ch Dwelling Place Church in Anaheim is, is being exposed for spiritual abuse, for bullying, for its leadership yelling at, its, at the staff. Um, you might think about the Southern Baptist Convention, which is on the same, an enormous scale of a denomination, systemically covering up sexual abuse. It's just this horrible pattern that we are seeing in Israel, we're seeing in the modern church as well. But it's not that it's always far away. It, within our own city, in Portland and Vancouver, there are churches in our city who are currently going through the painful process of grief as their leaders step down for moral failure. I, I know of at least three. But personally, I, I can speak from experience. I have, I have endured spiritual abuse in my career. Um, I, 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 I was hurt by a pastor um, at a church where I worked and called home. But, and I was young, and it was painful, and it took me a lot of years to heal from that. And so when Marshall asked me to teach this passage uh, on peace, I said, really, man, you want me to do the one on leadership failure? Because I can really go if you want me to. I've, uh, I've been, I've been in, within the church in vocational ministry for almost 20 years, so I've really seen some stuff. But the, the theme here is not to disparage leadership. It's, it's hard. All that to say, it's hard. Leadership is hard. And we should have grace uh, where it's appropriate. But the pattern can't be ignored. There is an epidemic of leadership failure in the church, of narcissism, ego, bullying, abuse, a concerning lack of Christ-like character, to say it the least. Here's an interesting quote from a well-known church leader. Anointing will get you somewhere great, but character keeps you there. Christians will often elevate anointed leaders before their character has a chance to catch up. Interestingly, that's from Mark Driscoll. And he actually tweeted that last month, right there. I don't, I don't know if he knows the irony of it. Uh, what's interesting is that that quote was about him from another lead pastor who was trying to pastorally walk people through some of the, the pain that they had experienced from Mark, Mark Driscoll and the Mars Hill situation. So, I know that's heavy, but that is the theme in Israel. That is the weight that the people of God were experiencing in Israel, and it's a similar weight that we have today. So, Isaiah goes on to describe the work of justice from this coming king. Let's get back to chapter 11 and verse 3. The first two verses, we see the character, the promise and the character of this coming king. And in verses three through five, we will see the type of work and systems that will be established. It says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity, equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What this saying is that the coming king, Jesus, will be the king defined by justice. 
He will judge with integrity and righteousness. The systems of power will be stripped of their corruption. Um, I heard it said this way, and I found it very interesting. Jesus has the capacity to do the right thing in all circumstances. Where we as humans are very limited in that way, this is saying that Jesus has the capacity to always do what is right and just. Our systems of injustice are human-made and have shown to be biased, imperfect, and unreliable, but Jesus is able to judge beyond the reach of our human prejudice. In his words, in other words, his rule, his systemic rule would defy human efforts to seek one's own good at the expense of others. Um, Brian Stevenson, uh, if you may have heard of him, is the author and founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, it's an organization dedicated to reforming the criminal justice system. Uh, you may know him from uh, the movie Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. It's very good if you haven't seen it. Uh, he, he, write, he, uh, he, was, he, <laughs> he writes, uh, we have a system of injustice in this country that treats you much better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. So Stevenson and the other leaders of the Equal, Equal Justice Initiative have dedicated their lives to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States, challenging racial and economic injustice, and protecting basic human rights for the most, for the most vulnerable people in our society. And that's, what, that's what's being described here of Jesus. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth meaning he can see beyond our systems, beyond our prejudices, beyond our, our shortcomings and our weaknesses. He will be the judge that can rule with righteousness. Uh, one, of the most, one of the most infamous criminal cases that revealed the systemic bias and inequity of the justice system um, in our country happened in New York City in 1989. Uh, a woman was horribly attacked, assaulted, sexually assaulted, and left for dead while running, running through Central Park at night. Um, because of the details of the crime, it became an, an intense focus of the media, law enforcement, and local officials. Many believe in an attempt to counteract crime, specifically in Central Park, the law enforcement in that moment and the prosecutors made an example of five young boys. They became known as the Central Park Five, if you're familiar with the story. These kids were as young as 14. The oldest was 16. Uh, they had no criminal record. They happened to be in the wrong place with the wrong crowd that night. And after hours of interrogation, investigators were able to coerce confessions from these kids with the promise that these kids could go home and be with their families. Essentially, they were scared and were doing whatever it took to get out of that room and be back home. As a result, they were convicted of a crime they didn't commit and sentenced up to 10 years in prison, with the longest being up to 15 years. During that time, a wealthy real estate executive took out a full-page ad in New York newspapers calling for, the official, calling for officials to bring back the death penalty. In 2002, 
Evidence was discovered that exonerated each of these five boys and their convictions were overturned. But that wealthy executive would go on to become president of the United States. So when we say we are living in the darkness of the valley and we are, we are subject to evil and corruption, even within our own systems, this is what we mean. When we say Advent is a time for reflection on peace, it is in the face of this kind of systemic evil. And in this one story alone, there is a lot to grieve and lament. We lament for the woman who suffered a violent and evil attack. We lament for those boys who became subject of national hatred and the loss of their youth. We even lament that the actual perpetrator of that crime wasn't brought to justice sooner. And we have to lament that leaders are publicly calling for the execution of children. And we have to lament a justice system that can become persuaded by prejudice and victimize the innocent. But we have hope in a coming king who judges perfectly with righteousness and truth who will establish a new system of equity and peace. So back into chapter 11, we know the character of this leader. We know the system of rule this leader will establish. And in the, in the third section here in this passage, we'll, we'll read what the results are from that new king's leadership. In verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah is describing, I think we get it, the coming kingdom of God and what true peace looks like. Uh, as beings who are still subject to suffering and death, the images being described here are, are, are still alarming. They're, they make you uneasy. I'm sure that your instinct is not to put a baby next to a, a snake. Um, I think that's a good instinct. But even though we're reading this and we have all these promises, we still within us find this description alarming. And because it's almost hard to really trust that this could ever be the type of peace and harmony creation could exist in. We just, just kind of just don't believe it. Um, in a lot of ways, that's because our understanding of peace um, is, is, is through structures of power. We, we don't know the type of peace that, that God is describing because our peace comes through through one system of authority dominating its power over another. Um, or at best, two systems matching each other's power. So it's not a full surrender to peace and harmony. It's an on-guard demonstration of power for the sake of peace. And when you think of, when you think of this, think, uh, think Cold War, when the, the United States and the Soviet Union were locked in an arms race, it was a time of relative peace, except, you know, you lived under the looming threat of mutual destruction. And that is our framework for peace. Um, 
More historically, the Pax Romana is a very famous example of peace in the ancient world. It was the state of comparative peace throughout the Mediterranean world and extending to North Africa and Persia, so everything within the empire of Rome. And it was protected and governed in, in the empire of Rome, protected and governed individual provinces, permitting each to make and administer his own laws while accepting Roman taxation and military control. So it was peace through force. It was peace through occupation and while they collect taxes. Um, so yes, it was peace, but it wasn't a true peace. This was, the, this was the period of Roman rule in which Jesus lived and died, and a lot of the early disciples, and we know how that story goes. So it's, it's not the peace that God is talking about. This is the type of peace that Martin Luther, Martin Luther King called obnoxious peace. Uh, following the historic bus boycotts with Rosa Parks and the integration of students of color to the University of Alabama, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a sermon at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery. And he said, peace is not merely the absence of some negative force, war, tensions, confusion, but is the presence of some positive force, justice, goodwill, the power of the kingdom of God. Peace is not merely the absence of tension, but the presence of justice. And even if we didn't have this tension, we still wouldn't have positive peace. Yes, it is true that if the Negro accepts his place, accepts exploitation and injustice, there will be peace. But it would be an obnoxious peace. It would be a peace that boiled down to stagnant complacency, deadening passivity, and if peace means that, I don't want peace. In a passive, nonviolent manner, we must revolt against this peace. Jesus says in substance, I will not be content until justice, goodwill, brotherhood, love, the kingdom of God are established upon this earth. This is real peace. Peace is the presence of positive good. So peace through oppression is not the peace that God is promising. It is not the image that Isaiah is describing. When we see the peace that God provides, it is a transformation of the human condition. It is a restoration of creation, where violent suffering and death are eliminated. What that means is that this leader is offering us peace beyond what we considered possible. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah has a passage, I'm sure some of you have heard before, that is describing the same type of peace that Martin Luther King is describing. In Isaiah 2, 4, Isaiah writes, and he shall judge between the nations, he being that king, shall judge between the nations, and they'll, they, and they, and, sorry, I got ahead of myself, and shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So Isaiah speaks of this coming king who judges the nations with justice and equity. And their response will be to destroy the weapons of war. But like MLK is saying, it's not just the absence of negative force, the elimination of these weapons. It is the presence of a positive good. They are turning their weapons designed for death into tools designed to cultivate life. It's, it is a full transformation of the human response and experience from violence to peace. This is how the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the nursing child shall play over the hole.
of the Cobra. So uh, to close, um, what is being described here in this chapter, in this, in this first half of the chapter in, in verse 11, is the coming king, if I haven't said that enough. Um, but what we have learned from these three sections is that Jesus is, Jesus is and will be the king upon whom you can fully rely. That's the first one. Jesus is and will be. There's the bright valley. There's the now and not yet. There's the tension we live in. Jesus is that leader, but he will fully be the king upon which we can fully rely. Two, to establish systems of equity and justice that produce a transformed peace across all of creation. Um, we, as humans, really look for peace as a feeling or a general sense of safety or stillness. And we tend to look to authorities who wield strength and power to defend and protect or fix what is broken. Instead, God came as a fragile baby, subverting all our expectations of what real power looks like and leading us into a peace that we did not expect. So one final section out of Isaiah, and then we'll close. Uh, it's, it's the same one that got read just a moment ago, and it's, it's, uh, it's a real crowd favorite around this time of year. Uh, Isaiah 9.6. But let's read it with all of these things in mind. The, the king who is and will be the, the leader we can fully rely on, who will establish systems of equity and justice, governance, that produce a transformational peace across all of creation. So, Isaiah 9.6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. Isaiah 9 6 is, like we've been saying, a two part prophecy uh, where we get the theme for the bright valley. He's seeing the two mountains of Christ's coming in that one prophecy. First, there is a baby who, is, who will come. Second, there will be a future kingdom and a future king who will establish this, this kingdom beyond that. What Isaiah, some scholars say, is that he didn't see the valley between. He saw the whole picture at once. This baby who would enter the human story and usher in his kingdom. We know that we are existing in that valley, but that tension exists in this, in this section of scripture. That Christ has come, Christ will come again, and we are in the space between. We need to live in the now and not yet. We need to participate in the kingdom here and, and know that it still has a lot more to come. What this means is that we have glimpses into the future glory where we can participate in the work of peace, justice, and righteousness now while existing in that uh, dark valley where, like we've been discussing 
through the series, we must look for the light. So in the meantime, we are partners in that work as the people of God, who within a world of uncertainty, suffering, and violence are meant to be people of peace. Now we can do a time of response, and I will pray. Jesus, thank you um, for stepping into the human story, giving us a life that we can model ours after, and giving us a promise of the future king that you will be. In the space between, teach us how to live. Teach us how to follow you well and participate in your kingdom. Amen.